All right, all right, everyone, take your seats, please. This time we're talking about cues and a little bit about tacos. Take your seats, please. This is the Change Academy podcast, a show where we explore what it takes to create a healthy mindset, sustainable habits, and ultimately to create the life you want to live. I'm Monica Reinagle. And I am Brock Armstrong. You know, we all have cues in our lives that prompt us to carry out certain behaviors, like maybe putting on your seatbelt when you get in a car, or maybe grabbing a bowl full of snacks when you sit down on the couch to watch a show, or pouring a glass of wine when you change out of your work clothes. Now, some of the cues we actually chose specifically, and some, well, just sort of appeared over time, mysteriously, or maybe not so mysteriously. (laughs) Some of them are actually good for us, like putting on your seatbelt, and some are maybe not so good for us, like the snacking or the glass of wine. But the good news is that we can deliberately create cues in our lives to help us make decisions or do actions or perform behaviors that will actually benefit us. And in this episode, we're going to teach you how to dismantle those unhelpful cues, but also teach you how to build some helpful ones too. Yeah, I can't wait to get into this. As usual, the first step in dismantling the unhelpful cues is just learning to recognize them. But we'll get into that first. We always like to take this point in the podcast to share a little bit of what we're working on or what members of the community are working on. And Brock, got anything for us this week? Yeah, I feel like we've highlighted a lot of stuff over the last few episodes from from the audience, but we haven't talked about our own sort of progress. And I always like to reinforce the fact that we are all works in progress, including Monica and I. We're not some gurus sitting on a hill with all of this stuff figured out. We're still working on ourselves. And personally, over the last little while, uh, it's probably a couple of months now, I've been really drinking less and less alcohol. But it's starting to become kind of summery here in Nanaimo and the sunny weather and yard work and all of that kind of stuff has got me, well, it's got me craving some frosty beers at the end of a... yeah. The gardening beer. Yeah. Nothing tastes better. Yep. And it just, yeah, it holds some sort of magical appeal, but for some reason it's just got a Got a hold. Maybe that's a great example of a cue. <laughs> I, you know, it. Uh, I did sh- sort of choose this with a <laughs> bit of an ulterior motive, but it's true though. I, it is a, a total cue for me, and the way that I've actually found to to work around this or to make it work a little more in alignment with my current desire to drink less alcohol is I have found some local craft breweries that actually are making a 0.5% version of some of their really good beers, not just the Molson 0.5 or the O'Doul's. I don't know if you guys have O'Doul's in in America that just barely taste like beer. They're really not a a good facsimile, but some of the local breweries are making these these good 0.5% percent versions of some good beers but i recently took it to the next level and i went and got myself two really nice old style pint glasses to serve Mm, my beers in nice and for some reason that just took it to the next level when i finish mowing the lawn or working in the garden on a hot day if i pour one of those 0.5 percent beers into my really nice pint glass it really just makes it more special and more enjoyable and takes it to that that next level. And it's a great reminder that it's not just about the alcohol. 
when it comes to these kinds of rituals, the cue of doing the yard work and then the the action of of pouring a, a beer isn't about necessarily getting drunk. <laughs> it's about having that special treat or having that ritual to do. And that's really, I found that I can make it special. I can make it enjoyable. I can make it a treat just by uh, doing something as simple as putting it in a really nice pint glass. Yeah, that's such a good point. I think sometimes when people are trying to specifically cut down on alcohol, they make the mistake of replacing it with, you know, a glass of tap water. Or, <laughs> Lukewarm tap water. Yeah. Right. Fizzy water or something. And that just feels like a punishment. And I always suggest that they take a little time and assemble some ingredients, you know, some some supplies so that they can make themselves a really fun craft NA option and serve it in a nice glass and go ahead and get the mint out of the garden and slap it and do all of the, the ritual. And that makes all the difference in what it feels like to choose not to have a drink at the end of the day, uh, when you're choosing instead to have something that's really rewarding in mm-hmm. its place. And that makes that habit so much easier to change. Absolutely. So yeah, that's uh, that's the way I've dealt with the uh, a certain cue in my life. Well, instead of sharing something that I'm working on, I wanted to share a little bit about somebody I've been working with this last mm. week and specifically wanted to give a shout out to the hosts of the Be Real podcast. I was a guest on their podcast this week, and we'll put a link to the episode in the show notes if you'd like to take a listen. And um, we had such a good time. This podcast is hosted by Diana Gasparoni and Adnisha Salisbury, and they're therapists. They're psychotherapists. Ah. And, um, and, but their show is really very broad, very wide ranging. And we talked a lot about, well, I think they invited me to talk about diet and nutrition. But of course, what we quickly sort of started talking about was behavior change. Hmm. Because as we've talked about so often, usually it's not that we don't know what we should be doing. It's that we can't understand why we're not doing it. Right. So we just had so much to talk about. It was a really fun conversation. And one of the things that I really appreciated about this was this reaching across from our different professional silos and starting to explore the overlap and the intersection of Mm. all of our areas of expertise. So for example, the connection between nutrition and health and mental health. And I know you were a guest on a television show, Don't Run Out of Money, just this last week where you were talking about, yeah, what's the connection between physical health and financial health? And I just think that those are great uh, explorations of how all of these things work together to help us create that life that we want to live. Yeah. And when I finished that interview for that TV show, I actually felt kind of apologetic because I I got the feeling that he had invited me on the show to actually give some real tangible exercise, some workouts that people could could do. And all I did was talk about mindset because <laughs> like you said, I mean, most of us know what to do. We're just failing to do it. So it's all about in in my mind anyway, is getting people into the right mindset to to choose those nutritious meals and choose the the exercise routines that fit into their lives and stuff. So much more important than giving a, a dietary plan or an exercise plan. Yeah. And I just love this cross pollination between all these different aspects of a healthy life. Yeah, it can go as far as finance or psychotherapy. <laughs> Well, let's jump into our discussion today of cues and prompts. Yeah, so I'm going <laughs> to come clean here. When I actually first proposed this topic to Monica, it was because 
I had heard about a fast food chain that you may have heard of. They're called Taco Bell. Uh, <laughs> they're all over the world. They actually just released a, a new promotion that has to do with the moon, which sounds crazy, but when you dive into it or dig into it, it actually makes some sense. Some sense. Not a whole lot of sense. But what they've done is they're trying to use the moon as a cue to go and buy some tacos. So this is how it fits into what we're talking about today. And specifically, they're talking about the half moon. So I guess if you held a a, like a hard shell taco, at least up to a half moon, you could see the resemblance there. Mm -hmm. Well, they're they're calling it the taco moon. Oh gosh! And if you go into a Taco Bell when a taco moon or a half moon is actually happening, you will get a free taco with the purchase of blah, 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 or something like that. The details don't matter. And we're not, this is not, <laughs> we're not advocating that you should go and, and get yourself some tacos or, or take part in this promotion. It's just a really interesting kind of uh, way to look at this idea of having cues in our lives. So the branding company behind Taco Bell is actually trying to plant in our brains that when we see the half moon, it's time for a taco. This is brilliant, actually. It, it is. You know, because <laughs> they don't have to pay the moon, right, to be a spokesperson. And there it is hanging in the sky. And look at us, we're talking about tacos. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and... Um, and obviously, they're trying to plant the suggestion when you see the half moon, you think taco. But now, of course, whenever you see the moon, you're thinking, is it a half moon yet? How many <laughs> yeah. days till the half moon? How many days to the taco moon? And, you know, it doesn't even matter if it's cloudy because they've succeeded in creating this cue and this association. And, you know, Brock, this is why everyone really needs to study marketing yeah. <laughs> because... <laughs> Because marketers study human behavior and they understand what motivates us, how to get us to behave in certain ways. And if we don't know at least as much about how our brains work as they do, then we are really at a disadvantage. We're going to end up doing a lot of things that don't benefit us, that benefit the clients of those marketing companies. So really, we all need to study marketing just to make it a fair fight. So let's let's set the stage first and just sort of the pattern of events that that goes from cue to prompt to behavior seems to be that blank happens, which makes you think or feel blank, which cues you to do blank. Right. And if we're not filling in those blanks, you better believe someone else will fill them in for us. Right. I'm reminded of a conversation I had with... Um, a woman that we worked with in the Wayless program. We actually interviewed her on camera. Her name is Zara. And she was telling a story about how she stopped to fill up her gas tank on the way home from work. She's British, so she was stopping at the petrol station. And while she was standing there pumping her gas, she suddenly had this craving to stop and get, uh, you know, like a burger and fry combo at the fast food restaurant. And she was sitting there thinking like, now, why am I even thinking about that? It's been ages since I do that. I've done that. I don't eat that stuff anymore. I don't want that stuff anymore. Why am I thinking about that? And all of a sudden she looked down and on the back of the petrol pump was a little space ad advertising like a special meal deal where you mm. could get a combo for less. 
And she said, when I saw that and I realized that they had planted that idea in my brain and actually created a desire for something I didn't even want, she said, I just felt so angry. <laughs> um, but she managed to laugh it off and be like, yeah, no, you're not going to get inside my head that easily. <laughs> I feel that way every time I see the the lottery tickets being sold at the, the checkout that occasionally I, I see it and I think, oh, yeah, I should buy a lottery ticket and then very rarely I actually fall for it, but most of the time I'm like, no, you're not getting me this time, you <laughs> sneaky buggers. But Not today, Satan. But it can be... <laughs> now there's a deep cut for you. <laughs> <laughs> but those are pretty obvious ones, like looking down in the at the petrol pump and seeing the actual advertisement right in front of you or, or seeing the, the lottery ticket dispenser sitting at the at the counter can be very obvious ones. But a lot of the the cues that are a little more insidious are ones that we're not actually aware of and aren't so so blatantly obvious. Right. Or that are actually like so ingrained in our own behavior that we've just established it as being the normal and we don't even realize that there is a, a cue involved. It's just what we do. Exactly. And of course, what ingrains it? Pure repetition. Yeah. And when we repeat a certain sequence often enough, um, it just becomes an unconscious pattern that we fulfill. If we start, we're going to finish. I'm reminded of another story from, from one of the folks that we work with in Way Less Program who came to the forum and said, okay, I've realized that the problem is my couch. Yeah. <laughs> like, what do you mean the couch? He was like, I, there's this couch and I sit on it when I watch TV and I snack when I watch TV. And now like the couch is the trigger that makes me go and get snacks. He's like, I got to get rid of this couch. Mm -hmm. And of course, everyone in the forum was like, I have the same couch. We yes. all have that the magical couch. couch. <laughs> and one of the insights that came out of that conversation is that if we're trying to break one of those bad habits, like always sitting down with a snack to watch TV and, you know, having the couch kind of be identified as like somehow that's the trigger couch equals snacks. It can be really helpful to either eliminate or modify the cue mm. as well as the behavior or even, you know, on the way to modifying the behavior, we can modify the cue. And and here's what I mean by that. So in this case, you know, he was like, so I started trying, I started just watching TV from a different chair, not sitting on that mm. couch while I was watching TV without snacking or watching TV in a different room. And he said it was much easier for me to kind of break that habit when I had modified some other pieces of the pattern. I know that sounds really silly or simplistic, but I invite you to try that. If you can actually notice, identify one of those patterns that just always unfolds in the same way, instead of just trying to say, okay, this time when I sit down on the couch, I'm not going to have a snack. You can say, this time I'm not going to sit on the couch. I'm going to sit on the floor. I'm going to sit in the easy chair. I'm going to sit on the porch and I'm not going to have a snack. And that can actually be a more effective way to break that pattern up. Not only is it breaking that that pattern, but in breaking that pattern, it gives you the the sense of accomplishment or the the belief that you can actually still enjoy your evening and do the thing that you you maybe value more than snacking, which is enjoying a, a watching TV or watching your favorite program. 
but you don't have to be derailing yourself. And by collecting that evidence, as we, we like to say on this this podcast, collecting the evidence that it's possible to still engage in that activity without derailing your bigger goals and your bigger lifestyle changes can be so empowering. And then eventually you could go back to sitting on the couch because you've freed yourself from the belief that the couch is the, is the demon. Right, right. And I think sometimes we... We just try to modify the behavior and then we're sitting on the couch, we're watching TV and like a good portion of our brain the whole time is just trying to get our attention saying, hey, you forgot something. Yeah. I'm sitting on the couch. There should be a snack in my lap. It's very distracting. And it, and we're really focused on what's not there. And, and that's another reason why just kind of breaking up that pattern, then we're not that distracted by the fact that the pattern is not being completed because we're not in that exact same pattern anymore. But I guess the first step really is still learning how to identify that the couch has become a cue or that you actually have these cues in your life. And then you can start making the choices like, well, I'm not going to sit on the couch or I'm going to change this behavior in, in some way or another, because, you know, we really do as humans, we, we are efficiency machines. Like we, we rely on using as little activity as we possibly can to get through the day. And that's where habits come in. And that's where the, I don't want to say unconscious, because I think that's the wrong term that would imply that we're walking around half asleep all the time, but it can kind of feel that way when we're doing those habitual Mm. um, behaviors like that. But yeah, we don't really notice that we have them. So sometimes we need to actually slow down and start uh, start identifying those cues. You know who can be super helpful in helping us identifying our cues? Who? Our pets. Because <laughs> our pets are not confused or distracted by what we say we do or what we think we do. They know what we actually do. <laughs> they hmm. quickly notice when there is a sequence of things that always happens in the same order, they tune right into it, and then they form their behavior around it. Ah. And they don't fall for our bullshit, right? (laughs) So here's a little quick, you know, test for you. After dinner, does your dog run to the front door and start tugging at the leash? Or does she run into the TV room and jump up on the couch? Ah. Be a little clue as to what you generally do after dinner. I guess I need to get a pet. (laughs) <laughs> and specifically a dog. <laughs> Goldfish probably wouldn't help that much, would it? No, no, no. But the good news is, is we can actually um, not only dismantle the the cues, whether you have a dog or not, but we can use this same sort of paradigm as a way to create some good behaviors in, in our lives. You know, there's actually a, a fellow named B.J. Fogg, and I know we've talked about him in the past in, in this podcast, but he's a behavioral scientist, I guess. Sure. What you would call him, uh, yeah. A pr- professor of, of behavior. What he says that uh, is a, a good way to develop a new habit, there's there's three steps, but the first step is the the one that we're focusing on today, and that is to actually find an anchor moment, which is an existing event that can remind you to do a new behavior. So you're looking for something that you already do habitually routinely without thinking about and then you're going to actually use that to remind you to do a new behavior now there are two other steps that don't necessarily line up with what what we're talking about today but he suggests that the the new behavior that you you add or that you link to to the old behavior is is a a simple thing it's a, a tiny behavior 
and uh, and then the next step is to actually celebrate that you've done this new behavior. So, so I was sort of looking at my day, and and first thing this morning, as most mornings, I got up, went in uh, to the kitchen, ground the coffee, put the kettle on, and then as soon as I hit the power button on the kettle, I go through my my movement routine, my my get moving and and warm up routine. And we'll definitely link to that in the show notes because everybody yes. loves it. <laughs> And it it's really become a, a favorite part of my day for for myself as well. But I, I it takes almost exactly the amount of time that my kettle takes. When I finish that, I pour the coffee, and uh, and then I celebrate that I've uh, I've gotten all the kinks and knots out of my muscles while I have a a nice cup of coffee. So, in terms of what BJ Fogg is is suggesting, I already was making my coffee, so I anchored the new behavior of doing my morning uh, warm-up routine to the making of the coffee, then I celebrate with my with my cup of coffee. So I think there's really something to that, being able to look at your day and find those moments of things that you do effortlessly and then tie that new behavior to that cue. Right, absolutely. I think that finding an existing cue is just a labor-saving device because then you don't have to insert something new into your life. It's already happening and it's already happening regularly. And that's the key. You know, people sometimes think of a cue that's not happening regularly, but they wish that that would. And the insight here is, no, pick something that you're already really good and consistent at doing. And it can be a neutral thing. It doesn't have to be a positive habit or Mm. anything like that. Just something that happens regularly and use that as your anchor moment. One of the examples that BJ actually gives is brushing your teeth, is using using brushing your teeth as the anchor moment. And then uh, he suggested doing one push-up after finishing brushing your teeth and then celebrating by telling yourself that you did a good job. Right, right. So yeah, it's just brushing your teeth. It's, it's something that we all do and we probably don't really think about. And yeah, throw in that extra behavior in there and you've got yourself a, a, a win for the day. And obviously, as Taco Bell has illustrated, we can <laughs> even choose like random external phenomena like the half moon um, to cue certain things. Don't uh, you mean the taco moon? The ta- <laughs> No, I refuse. Yes. It's a, it's a cantaloupe slice moon. No, wait, what's that shape? <laughs> it's an orange slice moon. There you go. Um, you know, I've heard you suggest that we can establish a certain doorway in the house. And every time we go through that doorway, we can just pause and do some isometric exercises against uh, the door frame or do a wall push up, you know, and just kind of link go that thing that's going to happen anyway and happen regularly to a new thing that we want to develop. And it doesn't stop there. It's not like 60 seconds of isometrics or a single wall push-up is going to get you all the way to your fitness goal, but it opens the door for a new habit and a new behavior to take root and develop that you can build on. Mm -hmm. So for example, talking on the phone for me has become a prompt to stand up and walk around. And I've been doing this for so long now that I virtually never sit and talk on my phone. It would feel so strange Mm -hmm. to me to sit in a chair and talk on the phone because I just am always standing or now that phones don't have to be tethered to the wall anymore, I'm often walking around the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Or here's another random natural phenomena that could become a cue if maybe on snow days, if we ever get, you remember those days where it used to snow so hard that nobody could go to school back when people used to go to school? I'm Canadian. We would never go to school if that was true. (laughs) But maybe snow days can become a cue to clean out the fridge. You know, that doesn't have to happen every week. That only has to happen every once in a while, about as often as we have snow days. So maybe that's your new, 
random external prompt to clean out that fridge. Sure. I was actually thinking there's there are certain behaviors that we've already attributed to seasons, like spring cleaning. For some reason, why is that a thing? But it is like spring yeah. comes and we all are like, oh, have you done your spring cleaning yet? It's a it's a behavior that's tied to a, a, a season or the beginning of a season, at least, which is a, a really it is a helpful thing because maybe you're putting off cleaning your basement for spring. But eventually spring does come and then your your basement will get will get cleaned. You know, there's those drinking games where people watch a show and if a character says a certain word or does a certain thing, everybody has to drink, which does not sound like a great cue (laughs) response pattern. But you could play a game where every time the character says the word, everybody's got to do a burpee or something. Yikes, you'd lose friends really quickly. (laughs) But, you know, one of the things that I think actually makes this more fun and, and more attractive is that we can actually kind of make it into a game. We can take some of these things and and actually gamify this behavior change. And and I think whenever we can can look for opportunities to make something more fun or maybe even a little bit competitive, it has a little more sticking power. And that's that's another one of those behavioral things that we can learn from marketers for sure. But I was thinking of things like if like you were saying, going through a, a doorway can can challenge you to to do or remind you to do isometric exercises or pull-ups or something like that. So you could actually keep a little piece of paper next to next to that door and and write down how many pull-ups you did. So next time you come along and you can check it and see if you can beat that the next time. Well, when I can do a single pull-up, I can start doing that one. <laughs> <laughs> you were... My paper would say zero. <laughs> Well, there you go. That's uh, maybe we'll uh, we'll stick to the isometric um, hangs <laughs> then for now. But I, another one of your examples was talking on the phone, um, walking while you're talking on the phone. Maybe you turn on your pedometer when you start that phone call and see how many steps you can actually get done while you're take, talking to your sister or taking that call with me, and and see if you can actually expand your your steps that you're you're doing and sort of get into a little competition with yourself. Sure. Or use something like the the half moon we're not going to call it a taco moon and and have that be a cue to i don't know develop a a new recipe for your tacos or (laughs) or practice your half moon yoga pose or something like that so you're you're actually having a little bit of fun with it and and making that behavior just a little more sticky because it's actually kind of fun and challenging right fun is not the enemy no so Okay, let me see if I can sum up what we've talked about so far, and then we'll get into the lab experiment. I think our first point is that we can learn a lot about how to manipulate and identify our behaviors from those wonderful, evil marketers out there, but we also can learn from our pets. (laughs) (laughs) Also, when we bring conscious thought to our cued behaviors, well, then we can really start to work on breaking those cues, but we have to bring that conscious thought to it first. And if we're trying to break a bad habit, it can be really helpful to eliminate or modify the cue as well as the behavior. Remember, we were talking about sitting on a different chair rather than the sofa. And finally, purposely introducing new behaviors that are anchored to already existing behaviors can give us a nice head start in making that change. Yeah. 
And a little bonus takeaway is if you can make it fun, if you can make it into a game, it can actually be a little more effective and and also a little more sticky. So this episode has been very sticky, I notice. <laughs> it is. I yes. feel like I need to go wash my hands. But the lab experiment that we have for you this week is really centered around the second of Brock's takeaways, which was that we need to bring conscious awareness to those cued behaviors yeah. in order to do anything about them. And so that's what this lab experiment focuses on. So for the next week, I want to challenge you to see how many different cues or prompts you can spot as you go through your day. So these would be circumstances or events that trigger a predictable behavior in response. Hmm. And as you notice them, just jot them down. You can use a notepad or your note-taking apps, just something so you can keep track of them as, the, as you see them throughout the course of the day. Then step two, at the end of the week, I want you to review that list and just evaluate how many of the cue response patterns that you identified, how many of them were triggering helpful behaviors, mm-hmm. like doing a push-up or flossing your teeth, and how many of them were triggering unhelpful responses, like pouring a glass of wine. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, how can you use that information to help you dismantle the unhelpful cue response cycles? You might choose, as Brock said, to either eliminate or even just modify the cue, or you might choose to replace the old behavior to that cue with a new one. But yeah, it all starts with that awareness. So, mm-hmm. so your, your gamification step for this is to see mm-hmm. how many cues or prompts you can actually spot in a week. That's the perfect first step, but it's also very eye-opening because I think we don't even, well, like I said before, we are just sort of creatures of habit and creatures of not exerting more effort and, and attention than we absolutely need to. So it really does. A lot of these things go completely under the radar. So let's turn the radar back on and start becoming really aware of them. Yeah, I'm going to do this this week, Brock, and let's see who can come up with the longest list. Okay. I challenge you to a duel. All right. To a cue duel. And this is our gamification part of it, too. (laughs) You're on. And if you want to take this to the next level like we are, you can challenge one of your friends or coworkers or family members to do the same thing by sharing this episode with them and then uh, seeing if they can come up with a list of cues that's, uh, that's longer than yours. And you can do that by using the little share button in your podcast app. Or, of course, you can go to our website at changeacademypodcast.com and share it from there. All right. That's all we got for you this week. We will see you next time. And here's to the changes we choose. All right. All right. Thanks, everyone. Don't forget to look for those cues so you can start to dismantle them. This has been the Change Academy Podcast.